What is amazing how music and culture can shape us, it can inspire us. That song that's traveled the world reminds us that we're longing for something out there to come here and fix what's broken in here. And music, whether it's the classics or whether it's modern music or reorchestration of it, can speak deeply to the human condition. So today as we look at the manger, we're going to look at how Jesus specifically affected both the arts and philanthropy and how those two are combined. You see, Christmas came with music. It was the holy, heavenly hosts that were declaring and praising and, 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 and declaring for all to see, right, that the music has come, God has come, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And the shepherds are struck by the sound of heaven. They say, let's go check that out in Bethlehem. Let's go see what this is all about, what the Lord has made known to us. Something from the other world has burst through in music, and it's told us something important has happened. And they arrive with haste, it says, and they find not only music, but that the great artist of the universe who had painted human beings like a portrait has painted himself into the painting. For they found a babe lying in a manger, and they marveled. God, the great artist of the universe, has painted himself into the story. What does this mean? They're struck by whatever it is. They marvel at this idea. And the arts all through history have found a way to make us marvel at the things that matter. In fact, you think about all the different ways in which Christian thinkers, Christian musicians, Christian artists, who we don't even know are Christian because they just did art that connected us to the transcendent. C.S. Lewis with philosophy, showing us that you don't have to check your brain at the door to be a follower of Jesus, how to think through problems of evil and the different views on God and life. As we learned a couple weeks ago, William Shakespeare and the way in which his writings have impacted all of Western culture, and yet in his will he said, I'm trusting my Savior Jesus as the inspiration for who he was and what he's trusting for that next life. It was da Vinci, his art, his inventions, what we know about the human system because of how he drew the pictures of the human body. If you like Lord of the Rings or fantasy literature, J.R. Tolkien, a, a devout follower of Jesus in the Bible, who wrote a whole literature that has inspired movies and literature for time to come. And even in this series, we've talked about Jimmy Stewart. Probably doesn't belong in that list, right? Except we learned in this movie that when you take one life out, it's amazing how many things change. Jimmy Stewart's character, George Bailey, we learned about that. You want the moon, Mary, right? What you may not know is that Jimmy Stewart's father was a devout follower of Jesus and taught him faith and taught him how to find faith. And after becoming a very successful actor, he enlisted in World War II. He's not just Jimmy Stewart, he's General Brigadier Stewart, who ran over 20 bombing raids in World War II, including many into Nazi territory. It's in that scene, It's a Wonderful Life, when he's weeping and crying, God, hear me, hear me, that he actually is experiencing what he'll say later is PTSD as he's thinking about all the men he lost during those 20 bombing raids as a colonel and then a general. And he felt the burden, and yet he had the faith that his life and faith in the next life was based on what Jesus did. These are just a few pictures of how culture has been shaped 
You see, the story of Christmas is the great artist painted himself into the, into the painting. The great composer wrote himself into the symphony. The greatest storyteller that's ever lived wrote the greatest story we'd ever heard. And when people heard it, they marveled and they magnified the influence of that story through their time, their treasure, and their talents. It starts with the idea of marveling. To marvel, when you see a piece of art, you, you marvel at the artist behind the art. It's not only what they created, but you marvel at, wow, the genius, the, the composition, the, 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 who can think like that? You, you marvel at something, not only the art itself, but the artist behind the art. That's the same thing about Christmas. When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to Simeon, he held the baby in his arms and he said, oh, Lord, now you are letting your... Your servant depart in peace. I now know that there is another life. I now know that this is the salvation you brought to Israel. And this salvation, he says, will be to all people. Not rich people. Not poor people. Not powerful people or powerless people. Not Jewish people or Gentile people. This is a message of salvation and forgiveness and hope for all people. And again, there's that word. Mary and Joseph marveled. And artists through the years have tried to capture that marveling for us. Think of Michelangelo and the creation of man. This drawing, this painting, so many different versions come out over the years. But it just gets this idea that we are trying to touch the sacred. That we are more than just dirt and chemicals. That there's something in us that is made in the image of God. There's a touch of the divine. With Christmas, we rarely slow down, but to slow down and say, yes, there's something in another world I'm longing to connect with mine. And Christmas takes that idea of creation and goes to another level because now God comes and reaches down and touches a virgin named Mary and says, ah, Mary, behold, that same God who made us has come upon you and you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And that son will be the son of the highest. It's a touching of the other world. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. And artists through time have tried to capture and take us to those moments. You think about the Virgin on the Rocks by Leonardo da Vinci. See Mary with children around her. Or how about this one, the Madonna and Child. Except for the fact they made them all European, Saxo, uh, European Caucasians, not Middle Eastern Jewish people, these pieces of art draw us in and suddenly you see Mary's love for this child. You see the tenderness and gentleness that God made himself that approachable, that up close, that fragile. Murillo, another artist, he created a piece called The Adoration of the Shepherds. If you look at this piece of art, you almost feel like you're there in the manger. You can almost smell the manure from the, from the cow, the steer. You can almost hear the bleeding of the sheep. You can feel both the sacredness of it, but also what kind of a God, the great power of the universe would choose to come like this. It speaks to its uniqueness. It speaks to humility. It speaks to the wonder, the mystery of what in the world is happening here. And when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to Simeon, they were captured in wonder. For he took that child in his arms and said, well, this child has a destiny. 
And his destiny is for the fall. The fall. This child was not only born to bring hope, but he will die to bring hope and forgiveness. He is destined for the fall. And they are struck by this. What? Destined for the fall? What could this mean? Then he looks at Mary and says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul when you see what's going to have to happen to this child in order to bring hope and peace and forgiveness to the world. It's one thing to read that. It's one thing to have that information, but artists have tried to capture that in a way that we could feel it. And nothing does that better, I think, than the Pieta. If you've never seen it, I saw it when I was in high school on a two-month mission trip around Europe, and then again when my wife and I went there for an anniversary. This thing by Michelangelo, a follower of Jesus and a Christian, was carved out of one piece of rock. You're just mesmerized by the art itself, but what kind of an artist could carve that kind of detail out of one piece of rock? And after you pass that, you begin to say, what's going on here? But here is the fulfillment of what Simeon said, where Mary is holding the body of her son Jesus, who came to earth not only as a child, but to give his life for you and for me, to die for us, to die the death we should have died, to bring us life, to teach us a way of sacrifice, a way of giving of our lives and of prioritizing other people. And you think, how in the world did you carve a piece of rock to capture that emotion, the muscle texture, Mary's face as she's just taking in the idea that this is her beloved son that God had given to her? What kind of a plan is this that God has? Another thing that strikes you when I was sitting there in high school and I saw it for the first time, our tour guide came by and they said, now take a moment and look at Mary. If you stood Mary up, she'd be over 22 feet tall. Jesus' body is about five or six feet. But in order to make the dimensions work, Mary is this massive, massive feature who's able to hold the body of her son. One, one historian said it this way. More poems have been written, more stories have been told, more songs have been sung about Christ than any other person in human history. That means if you take Jesus out of the manger, it affects the most amount of music, the most amount of poetry, the most amount of inspiration, the most amount of art in the world traces back to the person of Jesus because artists through time wanted us to know that whatever was happening in the manger and whatever was happening on the cross was so significant, it gave us a chance to touch the divine. It wasn't just sculptures, it wasn't just art. It also affected music. There was a kid who really wanted to play the piano, but his parents didn't want him to take a lot of lessons. They withheld that from him. So he used to sneak into his brother's closet and he would copy the music by hand at night, sneaking to have his own piano lessons. Can you imagine that for those of us who were forced to take it? But he began to teach himself through hand copying. And his music will be so inspiring that Mozart and Beethoven, Chopin will all trace back to him. Everything we know about music theory today that affects every major genre traces back to this man named Bach, who learned music by tracing in his brother's closet 
And then he sits down at the piano and he says, I want to create music that helps people slow down, connect, realize there's more to life than just your material self. You are more than just what you see, what you touch, what you feel, what you smell. No, no, you have a soul. You have a spirit. If you slow down enough in a world that never lets you slow down, you can feel the sacred. You can feel that desire to touch the divine. You can sense there's something more than just what this world offers. So when he sat down to compose his music, he would write on the top of his music sheets, J.J. in Latin, Jesus, help me, Jesus. I want to create something that gives people a sense of the transcendent. Then he'd finish a piece laboring over it. It wasn't very popular in his day. He didn't become famous till later because people didn't see his genius. And he'd write at the end of each piece, sola de gloria. I want this piece of music to bring glory to God, to help people see that they were made for the glory of God, they were created for the glory of God, they are made for something more than just getting up and having a job and getting retired and eventually dying. No, you are made for something so much more. Art and culture and wonder reminds us that there's something transcendent about beauty, some other world that we're tapping into. So have you marveled at the meaning of Christmas? Marveled that if it's true, And it's inspired a lot of art that the God of the universe came from heaven to earth for you. And he came not to parade himself around, but he came humbly to offer you peace. And that you're longing for a peace that transcends your circumstances. Anyone can feel peaceful when things are going well, but you're longing for a peace that transcends the world. A love, not conditional world. We we all know conditional love. We see it all the time, but... What if we could tap and fill our souls with unconditional love? Have you marveled that Christmas is bringing joy, forgiveness, peace, and hope? The hope that this world is more there is. And that someday you and I will not be in this world and that there is another life, an eternal life, that that transcendent sacred world that we're longing for and God made a way that we could know how we could get from here to there, not based on what we do for God, but based on what he does for us. So that's the arts, just a snapshot of a few pieces of arts. But we didn't just marvel at Christmas, we also magnified Christmas because followers of Jesus began to follow. And every time they experienced what God had done for them, that heaven had opened its treasures to them, love, joy, peace, forgiveness. And when they were awestruck by that, when they marveled at that, they magnified that by giving of their time, their treasure, and their talents to others. Philanthropy spread because of the work of Jesus. Of all the stories that strike us from the Christmas account, it's the wise men who see a star that God is leading, God is getting their attention. Then they come and they see a child, and they're so awestruck that the God of the universe would come to earth for them that they had exceedingly great joy. And that joy so enraptured them, so captured them, that they said, in light of heaven opening its treasures for me, how can I open my treasures for for others? And they began to give. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. These were gifts of royalty. These were the best gifts. But they were nothing compared to the ultimate gift God had given to us. And this spirit of philanthropy begins to flow through the Roman Empire and turn the world upside down. You think Jesus hasn't affected Christmas? Let's take Santa Claus for a moment. He's got many names. He's Kris Kringle. He's Father Christmas. But he's also known 
as Saint Nicholas. That particular name he got from a real person in history around 300 AD. Saint Nicholas was very, very affluent and he loved giving to other people in need. And he loved secretly giving if he could. He would often sneak around and find people in need in the community and find ways to secretly give. It eventually got out. He was doing it so often. In fact, he found a, a man whose daughters didn't have enough dowry. They weren't going to be able to set themselves for marriage in those days and a life those days. So he br- went and brought silver and gold and he set bags by their front door secretly. And, and they found the dowry and, and were able to get married and have a life because of the work of this follower of Jesus. Who was later named Saint, but his name was Nicholas. Now, as that story goes through time, it begins to be exaggerated and legends begin to to kind of creep up. And so by the time, 100 years later, he didn't just set the money at the front door, he threw it in through the chimney. And and, and this poor family whose daughters could not afford a dowry, you know, only had one pair of stocks, so they had to take their stockings off and hang it by the chimney. And so when that money came in from the chimney, it bounced into their stockings. So every time you put your stockings up, or look at your chimney, or think of St. Nicholas, Think of a real man in history, a follower of Jesus, who loved giving secretly to other people in need. Because Jesus said, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give, for God loves giving done in secret. Well, the spirit of philanthropy just continues to spread. But but one more thing you need to know about St. Nicholas, because it kind of speaks to our need for forgiveness. St. Nicholas also was part of a council that organized Christian thinking about what we believe about Jesus, God, and the Bible. And he was very passionate about Christian thinking. He and another guy named Arian began to debate. Arian didn't think that the Bible meant what it said about Jesus being God. Didn't, didn't think the Bible meant what it said when it said it's God's word. So St. Nicholas and Arian were, were getting into a bit of a huff. And St. Nicholas eventually just couldn't take it anymore. He goes back and pow, punches Arius in the face. Showing us that even saints need the message of Christmas. Even saints need forgiveness. Well, that message begins to spread. In fact, the Roman Empire, uh, an uh, an emperor by the name of Julian hated Christianity, but he was struck by their philanthropy. He said, these impious Galileans, they not only feed their poor, but they feed our poor, the Roman poor as well. It is said that his dying words were, you have one Galilean, speaking of Jesus. An Oxford professor says that one of the things that struck philanthropy in Christianity's motivation that changed the world is that philanthropy through Christianity extended to everyone. The underprivileged, it transcended race, sex, national boundaries. It was not limited to equals, allies, or relatives, as was most often the case in ancient, ancient societies. Everybody who's in need, regardless of what they look like or different from you, is a place to give. There's a Yale historian who says that Christianity brought five individual innovations to philanthropy that changed the world. Here are the five. Yale historian, number one, it was expected of all, whether you're rich or poor, you were to give a portion or percentage of your income to other people. So it wasn't just for rich people to do or middle class people to do, everybody was to give. That was revolutionary. Number two, it was motivated by Christ's love. It wasn't because they always deserved it, although you discerned that. It was because God was so generous to me, I want to be generous to others. That was the motivation. It was personally implemented. It's not my family does it. It's not my church does it. It's not my community does it. It's not my, my, my guild does it. I personally give of my finances. And 
The innovation was that you shared with religious causes and irreligious causes. You were generous to things that were good for the city, not just things that were religious. And you shared with the poor, the widow, the needy, the prisoner, and the traveler alike because of Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan. This revolutionized the world. These different changes. And, and that is what God offers to us. He wants us to experience the joy of heaven being opened for you. If you don't know for certain that you can be at one with Jesus, that you can know that there's a God in heaven who loves you and wants you to know that if you ever died, you'd be in heaven with him, that's the gift of Christmas. That's the treasure of Christmas, forgiveness, peace, hope, and joy. And that's what I would want you to open this Christmas, to know what God has done for you. And if you've experienced that, you say, I want to then open my treasures to others. How can I give of myself to people in need? How can I take the spirit of heaven and do on earth as it is in heaven? Now I got to tell you, the last couple of months have been examples of that. The generosity of our church. All year round, we give to inter-parish ministries, to City Gospel, to Back to Back, as you heard last week, as Beth did an amazing job, made us all cry. Every time I think I know her story, it's like, how did I not know you have a miraculous son? The work we do with Belize Partners, the work we do with one of the most impoverished areas in the country in Happy Church. And so we do that all year round, but for the last couple months, we've been putting ornaments out where you could give specifically through the giving tree. And it's been an incredible, generous response. So thank you for your gifts. Thank you for the way in which we are trying to do what we've talked about the last couple weeks, right? We've talked about Christianity being a source of education, and Horizon's trying to be that source of education. A source of, of fighting for the le- those who, are, who are, less v- are vulnerable and aren't fought for, who don't have a voice like orphans. And, and you're part of that by what you do at our church. And so I want to say thank you. Thank you for being part of our vision to help take God's word. And even to those who may not believe the way we do, 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 do uh, the way we do, and, uh, and I stepped in some right there. Um, or, or maybe you're not like, I'm not sure I believe in this whole Jesus thing or God thing, Chad, but I love coming to a place who cares about others. And, and I want to be part of that. And I'm giving him my time and my treasure and my talents for that. I got to tell you, I'm just so thankful. And the way in which we've been able to see God work in the midst of your giving and your serving has been amazing. Just amazing. Let me just take a few minutes to tell you a little bit of what God has been doing just recently in our church. It's been pretty amazing. We set out years ago to find a place that we could comfortably connect people to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. And I hear every week from those of you saying, I never liked coming to church, but I've been coming for several weeks, several months, several years, and now I look forward to it. I don't have to drag my husband. Oh my gosh, my kids love coming. I just had somebody last week at lunch in tears describing how meaningful it was, how our our children's ministry customized to help their son or their daughter. It is just such an incredible thing. Besides what happens on Sunday, I have the awesome privilege and yet deeply emotionally hard privilege of walking down the center aisle with people who've lost loved ones. Last 14 days, we've had four funerals I've been part of. And I wish I didn't get so emotional, but I always do. It's hard not to walk down an aisle with a widow, a son or a daughter who's lost someone way too soon, also a husband with a wife. 
And this room is filled, not just on Sundays, but on Saturdays and Friday nights with people who want to know, is there something after life? And the opportunity we have to give hope to those who need hope, comfort to those who need comfort, just amazing how we get to walk with people week in and week out and share the hope that Jesus brought. And that just continues to be ways in which God is, is growing that. Let me just show you a couple of things that have been amazing. The last couple of years, our attendance is up over 74%. In the middle of COVID, if you remember, we did some fundraising. Those of you said, hey, we want to create some tools. We didn't know exactly what for, but to serve our immediate community. So we put in cameras. We, we put in a full video editing system so that we could run live services. And it was in just in time for COVID. And so now our community extends beyond this room to people watching in rooms from home and family rooms. And our community extends well beyond. Many of you will say, hey, we we're watching from home for two weeks. We're finally in town because of business. And, and we couldn't wait to be here. We're finding that our online community, our, our, our those watching from their own living room, is in incredibly, uh, it's just shocking. Let me show you a couple stats. People are watching TV 29%, Facebook 28%, mobile 24%, website 14 audio 5 So we're always trying to find ways to take the resources you're investing in us and keep up our app and keep up our website and find the ways in which you and your friends and your family are watching our services. In fact, our stats now show that we have two people watching from home for every one person in the room. That means they're either watching live with us, as many of you are right now. Thanks for joining us in our living room, and we're joining you in yours. Or they're watching within the next five days our on-demand services. So that means look how full this room is. There's twice as many people who are watching from their own living rooms in both our equipping services and our exploring services because of the way in which you've served and you've given and you've invested in the philanthropy of our work at our church. It's been incredible. In fact, one of the ways that we give, here's the kind of percentages, we give 31% to our weekend services, children's student ministry gets 16%, adult ministries 15%, IT communication 6%, facilities have uh, 17 administration 14 I've got to tell you, that 17 if you're not part of a lot of parachurch or churches, is shocking. Most times that number is 25 52% because of debt service. But because of the philanthropy of this group, we don't have some secret donor or some secret organization or some trust fund that funds us. Everything that happens at our church happens because of your giving and your generosity. We started with like 40 people who gave at the beginning days. Now we have over 600 families who give to our church. And because of those who gave before we got in here 12 years ago, 13 years ago, they gave four-year pledges, three-year pledges, two-year pledges. I met individually with every family who said, I want to create a space for children, a space for friends, a space for, for funerals. And because of that giving, we moved into this building 100% debt-free. Which means every time you give here, it's not going to debt service. It's going to full-time, one-on-one ministry that happens today. I mean, it is shocking when I tell other pastors how generous you are with your time, your treasure, your talents. What we're able to do as a church because of your work. Because of that, you know, every year the, the elders and the exec board pray about where we're headed. How can we take the, the, the funds and the time and the resources we've been given and invested? We've got amazing things planned. In fact, when you think about us, it's, it's, it's a team, really, a team of volunteers and staff. Some of us like me, we're, the, we're part of the team that's uh, offering plate compensated, right, my salary and other salaries. But we're equipping you. 
and the other volunteers, which is 86% of our team that runs the weekend every weekend, that, that's, that puts packages together and, and crafts together for kids, who, who when I go to these funerals, there are a lot of you volunteering to be there for people's friends, grieving with them, showing them where to go, making them feel warm and welcome. It's, it's you're the team that's doing this. And because of that, we're looking at ways to invest. So we need your gifts. We thank you for your gifts. We spend this time of year to look at your gifts as how we can you know, strategi- strategically look at what we're going to do next year. And next year is pretty amazing. So don't try and read this. We're going to hand this to you on the first week of January, the second week of January. It's going to tell you exactly where we're going for the next four months because it's an exciting plan that you're part of. And this might be things you want to come to or invite somebody to. So a couple highlights here. You may not know, we have a two-service design. So our service at 9, 8.30 and 945 is 100% different from this service. Totally different message, totally different music. We go verse by verse through the Bible. We just finished the book of Numbers, then we just finished the book of Philippians. We're about to start 2 Kings. We're building a giant chessboard, giant chess pieces. We're going to show how the different kings worked and how Elijah and Elisha did more miracles than anyone in the Bible and what we can learn about what it means for God to be our, our first king, not the second king of our life. That starts in January. If you love this service, and I, I know you do because you're here, right? And you're inviting your friends to it. We have a brand new series starting in January called Live and Learn. We've gotten all the copyright stuff covered. Our administrative team's an amazing job because all the copyright restrictions now that we're on video. That we have uh, video interviews with Tony Dungy, inter- interviews with uh, Sean Johnson, an Olympian, uh, a Paralympian. Uh, we have uh, Jonathan Kane opening weekend. The, the lead singer for Journey is going to talk about his journey of faith and writing of the song Don't Stop Believing and how that led him to be a follower of Jesus. Amazing stuff for Live and Learn to invite your friends to. Then we got a series called Down to a Science. I've been interviewing scientists who believe the scientists that we have in our congregation and how science points to a creator, science points to God. We have interviews with them, cool science experiments. And, and I'm an artist. I'm an educator, but I'm an artist. So for me to be the lead creative at our church and to see the palette we can use every year between videos and music and lighting, it's just awesome to be part of it. And there's some incredible interviews and guest speakers. So the last thing I'll tell you, uh, Chad Williams got to be a tough guy with a name like that, man. Chad. Yeah. That guy's a Navy SEAL. I'm going to interview him during the, the Live and Learn series live. What it means to be a Navy SEAL. How a weird passage in 2 Kings brought him to become a follower of Jesus. How he wrestled with being a Navy SEAL and the call of Jesus in his life. We're going to have that interview. David Nasser is coming. He was a follower of Islam. He converted Christianity, some of the hostility he faced, some of the hope he found, some of the uniqueness of Christianity he discovered. And then Harvard-trained Shanti Feldhahn, who's an expert in marriage and family, is going to show research on how women think and men think differently. And she and her husband are going to have teach not only on the weekend, but also do workshops so we can learn how to better love our spouses. Now, I know you've got your wife figured out, and you've got your husband figured out, but I'm sure your friends might need something like this, right? And that's just the first couple of months we have planned for next year. And we could not do what we do if it wasn't for the way in which you give and serve around here. So thank you for your gifts and thank you for the way you serve. And I just encourage you to, if you're a guest here, this is our gift to you, this service. We want you to experience the gift of heaven, open its treasures to you, love, joy, peace, and hope. If you're a regular tender here, Maybe you're saying, you know, I've been on the receiving end. I want to now be on the giving end of opening my treasures, time, treasure, talents, my gold, frankincense, and myrrh so that I can fund and I can be part of the fun of what Horizon's doing. 
I want to invite you to two more things. Our series on what if Jesus was never born is over. Next week we're going to have a time of Christmas caroling and uh, scripture reading together. We invite you to be part of that. All three services, we'll enjoy it. They are all the same next week. We just want to really celebrate Christmas by taking some moments to sing carols together. And then, again, as we just continue to grow, we went from three Christmas Eve services way back in the day to five to seven. This year we're offering nine on Christmas Eve, Eve, on Christmas Eve. We have had over 13, 15, I think 1,600 tickets have gone out already just in the last week. Some of the, the seatings are already sold out. They're complimentary. Really, the tickets just help us organize and create space for you and your friends. Again, thank you for the way you serve at those services. Thank you for the way you pray and give so we can finance all the things we try and do. And I invite you to go to horizoncc.com backslash Christmas for Christmas tickets. Thank you for being here. We appreciate you. We love you. We'll see you all next week. Thanks so much.